And now with our Easter message, the wonderful, amazing, fabulous Emily Swan. Good morning. So I want to say a special welcome to those of you who are out of town or out of state. I know that we often comment on the weather here when we're online. And, you know, if you had winters as deep, deep and dark as Michigan winters, you would also talk about the wonderful spring weather all the time. So we've been uh, enjoying that these last couple of weeks. And this last Thursday, Rachel and I got a big load of dirt and compost delivered, like the kind that's almost as tall as me. And so we've spent the last two days just shoveling it and hauling it and trying to fill up these giant raised beds that we built last summer. It was like one of our pandemic projects. We built these raised beds that were about three feet tall and eight feet long, and I think three or four feet across three of them. So like we needed a lot of dirt and we had some other little projects to do. So we've been out there shoveling and Rachel's our vegetable gardener. I tend to be the flower gardener, but this year she's, she's allowing me to have one of those raised beds. So I'm going to try my hand at growing some peanuts and some beans and a few little fun things and see how I do. So Rachel, yesterday, once we got all the, the dirt into those raised beds, she finally got some of her vegetable seeds out and in the ground. And I was thinking last night, just how fun it was seeing how excited that she was about it. You know, she was just kind of imagining what was going to grow here in the next couple of months. She's planted a bunch of arugula and all kinds of fun things. And I was thinking yesterday as I was out there with my hands in it about how I I associate that smell of rich garden dirt with this anticipation of life, right? Of For me, tulips and clematis, but also like the blueberries and the jalapenos and the arugula that we've got coming up. Last fall, I think I planted an additional 200 more tulip bulbs in our yard. And that was on top of like the hundred or two I already had in the ground because I did it like as an act of hope during COVID, because I was like, I am going to need this after this pandemic winter, and I need something to look forward to. And so those are almost up now. Like the green is up, but they're not quite blooming yet. I'm really looking forward to sharing some pictures online. But these plants, just like every other living thing, um, just like with us, right, our, our origin story in the book of Genesis tells us that we are from the earth, right, that we are connected intimately with the dirt and with the living things and that one day we'll return to this earth. And this is part of who we are, that we're connected to creation. And the Gospel of John echoes this idea of that connection with creation and with gardens and with dirt when he describes Jesus's tomb on that morning more than 2,000 years ago. So I'm going to start by doing a little scripture mashup between Genesis and the Gospel of John. Um, so that'll help us hopefully see this connection. So let me copy and paste a little here so you can read along with me. In the beginning, when God began to create heaven and earth, and the earth was in welter and waste and darkness over the deep, and God's breath hovering over the waters, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And it was evening and it was morning, first day. And it was evening and it was morning, first day. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, 
Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So just as that first creation story began on the first day of the week in the dark, so did the second creation story. Recreation, resurrection, what we might call hope, always begins in the dark. It always begins in the times where faith and optimism and light remain hidden, right? Where we see and we understand the least, right? That's where hope germinates. And I love this quote by Reverend Barbara Brown Taylor here. I'll stick that in the chat as well. She said, everybody who saw the risen Jesus saw him after. Whatever happened in the cave happened in the dark. Resurrection is always announced with Easter lilies and the sound of trumpets and bright streaming light, but it didn't happen that way. It happened in a cave. It happened in complete silence, in absolute darkness, with the smell of damp stone and dug earth in the air. Whether it's a seed in the ground or a baby in the womb or Jesus in the tomb, it starts in the dark. And her description of that smell of damp stone and dug earth. That's like really visceral, isn't it? I find that really connects with my senses and it, it takes me into that empty tomb in a way that other descriptions that I've heard just aren't quite able to. And it also takes me into my backyard garden and it takes me into the Garden of Eden. It's like those spaces mingle as the stories and the senses are all evoked here by John. And I've always found it interesting that the very first day in the book of Genesis was described as night and then day. Right? Because when I think to describe a day in English, right, with our imagination of time, I think of daytime followed by nighttime. Right? The day starts when I wake up and then it ends with darkness when I go to sleep. But the ancient Hebrews imagined it as nighttime followed by daytime. It was evening and it was morning first day. And I think that's a more hopeful imagination, right? That sees light coming after dark. It kind of allows for us to wake up in the middle of it all, right? In the middle of the hiddenness. And so when the Gospel of John lets us know that Mary Magdalene went to visit Jesus's tomb in the dark, that's a detail that's meant to alert us that while it's currently dark, hope is on the horizon because light always follows dark, right? It was evening and it was morning, first day. So I want to invite you to imagine the scene with me, even though I kind of think Diane just did it a little bit better with the puppets or with the stuffed animals. <laughs> so I invite you to imagine that we're with Mary Magdalene in the dark before daybreak, and we're in a garden cemetery. I'm imagining the one I sometimes walk in in the summers here in Ypsilanti. And I invite us to ask, why was she there in the dead of night? Right? Was she just unable to sleep? I know I sometimes can't sleep when I'm upset. Was she sad because she'd watched her friend be killed in this horrific way two days prior? Was she just kind of discombobulated and traumatized? Was she all of these things? And I started to wonder how many of us are unable to sleep because of grief or anxiety and how many of us have had, say, COVID nightmares over the last few months. I know I've had a few. I know online, like Molly has shared that she's had some, that seems to be a common thing that happens. How many of us have felt terror at watching men like George Floyd be killed in these horrific ways, 
right? Just like Jesus was put to death at the hands of state power. The Gospel of Mark tells us something a little different than John, right? It tells us that Mary went to the tomb or took this walk with another woman called Salome, and that they had brought spices to anoint Jesus's body with following the Sabbath. But still, that account doesn't quite add everything up for me, because Diane actually pointed it out when she when she did the stuffed animals. She asked the questions like, why so early? And who would have been there to roll this giant stone away from the tomb and let them in? Like, yeah, that's That's a weird thought. And I think we see these differing accounts of the story because the story was passed down orally and these different details in this confusing time were shared and eventually written down. And so I think John is telling this story in a way that's helping us make sense of it in a larger context, right? And I've always enjoyed his because I, I, it makes more sense to me that Mary was maybe just sort of walking around unable to sleep and she goes there just sad, maybe, right? Maybe walking just felt good to her. Maybe she was with Salome. Maybe they were staying in the same place that night. And since they couldn't sleep together, they thought, well, let's just take a walk together. We just know that they walked in the dead of night and they saw that stone rolled away. And so curious, Mary goes in, she sees the bodies missing. And then I wonder, what would her imagination have come up with to explain that, right? Was his body stolen? Did the Romans move it so that it wouldn't become like a martyr's monument? Like, were they trying not to let it become politicized? And at that moment, I think it must have seemed like that night would remain dark forever. And so she goes to find her friends, Peter and John, wondering what they would make of it. And I started to wonder about that panicked trip. Right. She made her way back to where they were staying, those long minutes of just feeling like her legs couldn't carry her fast enough. What was that, you know, half an hour or so like? And then when she found them, she said, they've they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've put them, where they put him. And so sufficiently alarmed, Peter and John, they ran to the tomb themselves. And since John was the one to write this account down, he includes the detail that he ran faster than Peter and that he beat him there. And he says it not just once, but twice to make sure that we know that Peter was soundly outrun. And I thought, you know, if John were writing this today and he made a meme, oh, I can't, I can't share my screen right now. I forgot. I made Caroline the host. I made this really cool meme that I'll put online later. (laughs) You can see, because I thought, I mean, he wrote it down in a book, but it has been passed down around the world for thousands of years. So he was making sure that we knew this went like viral, right? John 1. So Peter and John, they're standing outside the tomb. They're panting. And then we're told that while John stayed outside, Peter went in and looked around, just like Mary had, and that he could see the burial wrappings and the linen laying there. And then he also saw the burial shroud, right? That's that thing that goes over the face. He saw that nearby. And so since they didn't know what to make of it, and there wasn't any authority that was safe enough for them to contact, like they couldn't call the They couldn't call the Roman guards. They didn't know what to do, so they went back to their house. And I thought, here's another odd question that we don't often wonder aloud about. What was Jesus wearing when he came out of the tomb? Right? The text takes very great care to tell us his burial cloths had been left in the cave. So I think it seems like the story is telling us that he was naked when he walked out into the world that early morning before the sun rose. 
And how he found the clothes that he had on when Mary found him later is a little bit of a mystery. You know, was he just wandering around the city naked? Did he have some really awkward encounter with someone in the graveyard? Maybe somebody took pity and said, here, take my outer cloak, please. We don't know. But as Jesus arose in that garden in the dark on the first day of the new week, he may well have walked out into the garden where he was buried naked, just like the first humans walking in the Garden of Eden so long ago. So do we see this connection that John, I think, wants us to make with that first creation story in Genesis, that in the beginning it was night, and then it was day. In the beginning there was a garden. In the beginning there was a human, Adam, who walked around naked and unashamed. And now we have the second creation story where daylight is coming, and this new human walks around naked and I'm guessing unashamed, also in a garden. And so after seeing that empty tomb, Peter and John, they went home. But Mary, who had come back with them, she stayed outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the cave for the second time. And this time she saw that it wasn't empty. This story tells us that two angels were sitting there where Jesus's body had been, one at the head of where he'd been laid and one at the feet. And this is a scene that's supposed to evoke the angels on the Ark of the Covenant that was hovering over the mercy seat in the book of Exodus, right? So what the story is telling us is it's as if the Holy of Holies, this place where God's presence was said to live on earth, that that place was there in the tomb of Jesus and that it had just busted open into the garden and into the wider world, right? The text is telling us that God cannot and will not be contained and that this world is the temple of the divine spirit of love, and that God is redeclaring this whole world sacred space. And the angels that Mary saw said to her, why are you crying? And she said, they've taken my Lord away. I don't know where they've put him. And so she turns and she sees a man that she doesn't recognize who she thinks is the gardener, right? That detail's not a mistake. And so Mary sees this man whom she believes is the gardener. And she says, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him. I'll get him. Right. She's so heartbroken. And then Jesus says to her, Mary. Right. And the text says she turned toward him again. That's the the second time she turns toward him in two verses. Right. So the first she turned around from the angels in the tomb and she saw this man behind her who she did not recognize. And now after he says her name, she turns again but this time in recognition, right? It's like she wakes up in that moment that he says her name and the light starts to dawn and she grabs him to her and she holds him and she cries out Rabboni, which means teacher. And then Jesus tells her not to hold on to him, but to go and to tell the others what she's seen, right? Tell them that hope is alive. When I was talking with Rach about, this is not in my notes, but last night I was talking with Rachel a little about the Easter sermon. And she goes, it better be hopeful. (laughs) So no, it will be. She's like, after this long COVID winter, it better have hope. (laughs) It is. Tell them hope is alive. (laughs) Tell them that God vindicated Jesus and his path of suffering and loving the marginalized. Tell the others that even though Jesus was killed because he challenged systems of oppression And he embraced the poor and the sick and the outsider that God overturned that death sentence because it was not just, right? Tell them to wake up. Tell them there's always hope 
because we follow a God who is alive and who is still gardening, right? And that's the same announcement that we continue to make that in the middle of this world that we're living in, this one filled with COVID and overworked parents and cancer and systemic racism and unpaid bills, we are asked to believe that there's another reality called the good realm of God and that we bear witness to that. We even help create the ways we live our lives and we pass our stories on. We bear witness to this. The good realm of God is like a garden. We weed and we plant beauty and we plant things that bring nourishment to pass on. So the Christian worldview beckons us to come and attend the earth with the good gardener. Right? We don't fear darkness and death because we're a resurrection people. We bring the world around us to life. And if we're bringing harm and death, then we're not of this spirit to which Jesus bore witness. I'm going to say that again. If we're bringing harm and death, we're not of the spirit to which Jesus bore witness. And it's that same divine spirit of love that raised him from the dead that lives in us. And we're not overcome by darkness or death. And so no matter how dark life seems, no matter how long we've been quarantined, no matter how addicted we are or how unworthy we feel or how worried we are about our kids, we have hope because resurrection always begins in the dark, hidden away like a seed that's just about to germinate, right? When the world seems darkest, that's when hope is on the horizon because the daytime always follows the night. So we're gonna do a little meditation here. We usually spend a minute or two either in guided or silent meditation. And so I'd like to invite you to do a guided meditation with me. You don't have to do it, but maybe start by getting yourself comfortable Seat yourself in a way that you can breathe well. Take a couple of good deep breaths in through your nose and out through your mouth. Get your neck and your shoulders loosened up a little bit. And as you continue your relaxed breathing, I invite you to picture yourself sitting either in your yard or a garden or a park, some outdoor space that feels um, like a place that's just really natural and beautiful for you. And as you're breathing, just imagine like, what does it look like? What does it sound like? What does it smell like? What does it feel like? Let your senses awaken to this garden space. And as you sit in that space, I invite you to imagine Jesus coming and sitting beside you, 
or God, however you understand God, whatever that looks like or feels like for you. And then we'll just spend a few moments here just in silence sitting in that space with love. And just as that Easter morning was filled with both dark and light and fear and uncertainty, as well as with hope and joy, I feel like that's so relatable in this pandemic time when we're, you know, half vaccinated, not even a half, a third. And there's a lot of just questions and uncertainties about what things look like. And so as we're sitting there in the presence of Jesus or of love, I invite you first to just sort of think about one thing that's maybe making you a little bit anxious looking forward to these next few months about what life is going to look like again. And to just hold that there in the presence of God. And now I invite you to think about something that's bringing you hope or that you're excited about over these next few months as life starts to transition again. So Jesus, we come before you with all of these varying emotions mixed in us. And we know that you understand and this story gives space for all of this. And so I ask that in our anxieties and our worries that you would allow words and seeds of hope to be spoken into us, to germinate inside of us. And I ask that you would help us as we are re-encountering the world, that you would breathe new life and refreshment into us, that we can bear witness to that which is good that we carry with us. We thank you. We thank you for your life. We thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for the story that we carry. Amen.